In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. have indeed found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive i'm your host noah nelson and welcome to episode 412 of our ongoing exploration of the immersive cosmos this week our guests are barry through the executive and artistic director of gray area and vanessa chang the director of programs at leonardo both are here to talk about the upcoming gray area festival coming up in san francisco october 19th through the 22nd it's a great conversation about tech art access and the changing cultural landscape of the sf bay area i've never talked to these two before and we had a grand old time this is a this is a fun one over on the website you'll find that we've been up to all kinds of shenanigans this week a huge rundown with eight reviews hailing from many immersive hotspots a feature review of the new site-specific opera from la's the industry And we kick off a brand new feature coming soon, which puts the spotlight on upcoming experiences and events. Naturally, we start with Berlin's only queer haunt, Nightcrawlers. We've already got more lined up for next week. Speaking of next week, as I'm recording this, there are just 20 spots left to RSVP for this coming Monday's meetup at the Roguelike Tavern in Burbank. We'll be doing a live taping of the show that night, and our guests will be the Speakeasy Society, Scarlett Kim talking about an exciting event coming to Arizona State University's Mix Center, roguelike owner John McCormick will also be there, and there's two score worth of incredible people who'll be coming out that night. Gathering in the community is always a good time. RSVP for free, drop a donation if you feel like it, and come on down to the roguelike for drinks and grub and gabbing. 21 and over for this one, folks, just to be clear. Now, Patreon is, well, it's been being hinky these days, as you might have heard. Changing their logo, changing the rules, making free memberships, yada yada, but look... That thing is still the main way we keep this this thing going, and somehow the math has worked out, so we are now 17 paid members away from our spooky season goal of 450. It is so close. Uh, if we could just convert a few of the free members, there's like 40 of them right now, into paid members, and, and I don't know, maybe people think that somehow magically money appears, or, or that you know, things occur. Uh, but if we could just get, get 17 of you of like the 40, uh, we'd be pretty good. Got to convert like half pressure pressures on pressures on. Uh, that's the weird news. The good news is that we count six new backers who are helping us keep the churn away. And you know, we do that three more times. We, we hit our number. The folks this week are Paul Paquette, Chris Dolan, Stacy Fitzpatrick, Saturnine 99, Benjamin Hagland, and Leonie Ermer. 
Thank you all for joining up. It means so much, particularly when we're doing a drive. Now, I just have to figure out what to do with this free tier when uh, we already, like, give away just about everything we do. Because that's, we're like, we're for like a kind of a volunteer slash one man slash six people public media thing. Because anyway, look, patreon.com slash no proscenium is where you go to help us out. And if you've done that already, if you're already a paid member, the best way to help us is to share this podcast. One of the articles you found useful, maybe it's the call sheet. Maybe you're excited about the coming soon. Share what we do and help people discover more immersive stuff. That's why we exist. Do it on your social media platform of choice. We are always no proscenium except on Insta and on threads where we are no underscore proscenium. See you online. Finally, Big thanks, as always, to our sustaining backers. Those are the folks who pay the bulk of our bills. Samuel Mystery, Chris Woolman, Samantha Davison, Eric Shamlin, Elaine, Daryl, John Boulette, Cameo Wood, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentes, Kurt Collins, Winthorne, Ryan, David Bassick, Richard Ayers, Lonnie Hanson, Lecker LeCool, the Ministry of Peculiarities, and Jan Budman. Thank you all for being a part of this. And hey, if you are have something special you want to share with this incredible group of people these over 400 paid backers uh hit us up at noah at no and let's talk about it let's let's get you hooked into our ecosystem all right and with that let's get into this week's interview Joining us today are Barry Through, the executive and artistic director of Gray Area, hosts of the ninth edition of the Gray Area Festival in San Francisco that is coming up October 19th through the 22nd, and Vanessa Chang, the director of programs at Leonardo, who run the Cryptech Incubator and who is collaborating with Gray Area on the festival on the Cryptech Metaverse Lab to talk with us about this year's festival, the lab, and the origins of both. Barry, Vanessa, thanks for being on the show. Hey, delighted to be here. Nice to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Barry, let's start with the absolute basics and start with you. For those listening who don't know, what is the Gray Area Festival? Yeah, so Gray Area Festival is the kind of yearly, I would say, flagship event of Gray Area which is our um, is a San Francisco-based nonprofit uh, cultural incubator. We're in our 15th year now operating in San Francisco, and we focus on art and technology applied towards social impact, uh, which we do in many ways. One is as an event venue. We do audiovisual performances, um, some of which... Uh, are kind of surround immersive things that would be uh, of interest to the no proscenium audience, um, which we can get a little more into. But we also do education uh, and have uh, incubator and research programs. Um, so this festival is the ninth annual Gray Area Festival. 
Um, and, you know, the sometimes we have no themes or just broad overviews of things. This year, uh, our theme is called Plural Prototypes. And we're really talking about reimagining sort of cultural infrastructure that facilitates these deep and meaningful collaborations among diverse social groups, um, which uh, we do to support our overall mission at Gray Area, which is bringing um, as broad an array of backgrounds and perspectives into media, technology, the things that we develop in the world, making sure that they benefit uh, the greatest possible uh, sort of uh, uh, set of humanity, you know? Um, so, yeah. So, Vanessa, can you tell us about your part uh, with Leonardo in in this year's festival, this uh, Cryptech Metaverse Lab? And I know there's going to be a lot to unpack uh, with with the incubator and sort of the origins of this, but but for folks who are going to be coming uh, to, or might be thinking about coming to check out the festival, what, what exactly will they encounter? Sure. So this year, Leonardo, um, particular program, Cryptech Incubator, collaborated with Gray Area to produce the Cryptech Metaverse Lab. This was a gathering of um, 10 disabled creatives working variously in sound art, XR, dance, um, sculpture, um, of various disciplines. And we gathered them to experience immersive works in um, spatial audio, in virtual reality, and in augmented reality, with the idea that we wanted to um, create a generative environment to experience what um, what are called access frictions, which is when uh, <clears throat> media and technology and infrastructure don't um, don't create avenues for access for, for all folks. And so, um, you know, a lot of times this um, access frictions emerge out of kind of design failures. They fail to account for all potential users from the get-go. And so our, our lens that we bring, this is in the Cryptech Metaverse Lab, as well as the Cryptech Incubator is what we call um, creative access or aesthetic access. This idea that access isn't simply about say, I don't know, tacking a ramp onto a building, but a creative and generative community practice where if you bring people together, they can kind of collectively build avenues for um, not just, you know, getting into a building for experiencing artworks. So over the three days, these um, artists and creatives had these experiences um, as expected, encountered a lot of barriers along the way to experiencing work. and you know, in, in virtual reality, augmented reality and spatial audio, because they often don't account for folks who might be deaf or blind or have um, are mobility device users. Um, so there's, there's a number of um, ideas and recommendations that came out of that, and as well as a commissions process. So collaborating with um, Vive Arts and Viveverse, as well as New Art City, um, the Metaverse Lab, commissioned three artists, um, Indira Allegra, Melissa Melskun, and Nat Decker, to create metaverse prototypes that um, lean into creative access and that to that start to kind of envision a more accessible, kind of collectively imagined and realized metaverse. And so that's what you'll see at Gray Area Festival, these prototypes. 
event and, and that's and all all three of them are going to be uh in in vr in like a in, in like a vive port setup um so two of the two of the works melissa Niles coon's deaf club as well as indira allegra's tixeri will be in viverse and experienced through um viverse headsets and the third and they'll also be um projected onto a screen so that you can kind of see what's happening and then the third piece is um it's created on new art city which is an open source virtual platform and that's nat decker's touch so for this project, they've New Art City has worked to kind of create headset capacity um, for the experience, and so I believe that they'll also be using um, the Vive headsets. I, I want to drill into the origins of of this of of the the Cryptech incubator a little bit. I noted uh, there was an exhibition in twenty twenty right before the pandemic hit us all um, oh my goodness two weeks you know, before <laughs> yeah yeah and like i'm i'm <laughs> my listeners know like that was a critical moment for us as well uh so i'm always i'm always interested to hear the war stories like was that mm-hmm. the first time that the folks at leonardo had 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 pulled this particular uh initiative together or or or, or was this part of like a, a longer chain that was going i'm kind of i'm kind of interested in the relationship between like that last cure that curation in 2020 and what's happening at the mm-hmm. festival this year for sure well it is certainly part of that lineage um so that that exhibition was um an exhibition i co-curated with Lindsay felt um was a longtime collaborator of mine and we were really interested in merging kind of three um discursive practice spaces that we thought really needed to speak to each other. And that's this idea, this field of like disability and technology, because, you know, on one hand, you've got this, um, when people talk about disability and technology, they have a way of um, thinking about it in a kind of curative or rehabilitative sense that technology is meant to cure or fix disability. But actually the history of technology is a different kind of history. It's a history of disability innovation of this, you know, trying to forge access where it hasn't been um, been created with access in mind, right? Like the whole internet really is a history of deaf innovation. You know, ARPANET and DeafNet are kind of fundamentally connected. YouTube captions are um, are um, <clears throat> were developed by a deaf engineer who is also part of of DeafNet in the in the seventies and eighties. So that thread. And then um, we were also interested in highlighting Bay Area disability activism and the kind of ways in which disability art and activism have really been um, emergent from, you know, Berkeley and San Francisco and how that might speak to innovation in Silicon Valley. And then finally, um, art and technology and its kind of capacity for for media art to foster a kind of multimedia sensory experiences, you know, like. How can we create more access? So we curated that show and it created a lot of um, interesting questions for us. In a way, it was like a proto lab and a proto incubator. Um, from there, we then started working with Leonardo and, for, and that's when the Cryptech incubator came to life. We really leaned into this notion that access had to be cultivated, that we needed to 
um, developed more of a pipeline for disability innovation in art and technology. And we've been working on that over the last few years. And, you know, a lot of the, um, a lot of the thinking around um, access and creative access in technology is oriented around, um, often it's like haptics as an avenue for experience, um, or if you're thinking about VR, there's a way of kind of like thinking about folks who may not be able to leave their homes, so being able to kind of access experience that way. But this kind of often has echoed this, um, this uh, thinking about access is, you know, putting the ramp on the building, compliance. So we're trying to really work in this more creative and innovative way. Um, and that led us to this collaboration with Gray Area, Cryptech Metaverse Lab, because we're at this, as you know, um, fascinating moment for XR, where everything is still being made, you know, experiences uh, are great. And they work and sometimes they don't work. So it's a really primo moment to um, integrate the experiences and perspectives all along the design cycle of people um, who not only would benefit um, from being able to create and use and experience these platforms, but to shape them for, for the better and for like really, in really creative ways. I'm gonna I'm gonna put a pin in in sort of the state of XR at the moment because I think hopefully we'll, we'll have time to come back to that because I got some questions for you there. But I want to pivot to Barry. You know, uh, Gray Area has been around. This is 15th anniversary. You've basically started up around the time I was leaving the Bay because uh, I'm I'm Bay raised if not born, and I'm curious as to both in terms of the the story of Gray Area and your your perception of of sort of the intersection of art and tech in the Bay, because it's been, that's always been a, a robust tradition in, in the Bay area, in San Francisco. And like, every time I think of gray area and some of the shenanigans I hear you get up to, I get myself a strong, um, nineties vibe, occasionally a little bit of survival research labs vibe out of, out of some of the, some of the imagery I've seen. Uh, and I'm wondering, I'm wondering sort of how you perceive where, where things have gone over, over the, the arc of 15 years, you know, just a really simple question about, you know, the origins of gray area, the state of art and tech in the Bay, no, nothing broad. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's a big question because San Francisco's clearly yeah. changed a lot over the last 15 years, but I will say that um, the Bay Area has a mini decade history of art and technology um, collab collaboration. And, you know, I think there's a strong argument to be made that the economic uh, miracle that's happened in San Francisco is one that occurred because of a creative milieu. Um, you know, it, it, it was really a, a creative technology project and not just sort of a capital project, right? Um, which has over time um, become kind of a more extracted sort of thing. Um, and so, you know, Gray Area exists to kind of have, to hold this conversation around how, um, not only art, but, you know, creativity broadly and, you know, what we call anti-disciplinary practice, which is um, 
breaking down uh, knowledge silos and sharing experiences across knowledge domains and making this point that, um, you know, artists are really the uh, cultural first responders that can kind of show up um, expand the aperture of possibilities when looking at any sort of uh, challenge, um, find edge cases. And we think that artistic practice, um, and we use art broadly because we also, you know, welcome uh, all sorts of, you know, not only backgrounds and perspectives, but, uh, um, but also vocations, you know, skill sets, uh, into the story there. So I would say, um, you know, from the beginning, Gray Area has done a lot of kind of immersive uh, audiovisual work. Uh, both myself and Gray Area have worked for a long time with Recombinant Media Labs, uh, which has a project called the Cine Chamber, which is a 10 screen surround, uh, eight channel um, surround sound system that features. Um, probably about 60 full-length works from international artists like uh, Ryoichi Kurokawa and Robert Hinky and Tarek Berry and um, Vicky Bennett, um, who goes by the name People Like Us, and a, and a, a Signal, like a, a, a whole lot of different artists. Um, we've uh, had projects like the Hexadome um, from the ISM Berlin, um, and, you know, you were, we talked about the uh, pandemic a little bit. So the, in 2019, we actually had, um, a year long project that, uh, from 2018 to 2019 with the Knight foundation supported a project uh, called the experiential space research lab, where we were looking at how the new, you know, what at the time was a renewed trend in, um, experiential exhibitions and how that sort of stuff could be applied towards um, more than just set design and like Museum of Ice Cream style stuff, but how it could be used as a site for interdisciplinary collaboration applied towards uh, engaging with real world issues. So we had a project there uh, that it, um, over six months, we took a group of artists uh, designers, ecologists, um, and did a six month immersive deep dive into Gaia theory. Um, and the artist self-generated an exhibition called the end of you, um, which was instead of a selfie museum more of an anti-selfie museum talking about how to expand people's sense of identity to other people and other species and a whole living planet. Um, and we had that scheduled for February of 2020. And then all of a sudden the door shut. Um, so after that point, like everyone, you know, we, we've also done a lot of sort of VR related works through the past. And so we weren't exclusively a physically, uh, place-based kind of immersive, um, shop in terms of interest. Uh, but it caused us, you know, like everyone to sort of think more about online collaboration. A lot of that stuff is appearing at the festival this year. So in addition to the Cryptech metaverse, uh, lab projects, um, we also have some are featuring some prototypes from a lab called Sea Change, which has been running for a couple of years that we're doing in partnership with the Goethe Institute. 
Um, it's focused on cross-cultural exchange, particularly with uh, new sorts of online tools that uh, facilitate cultural exchange among different groups. Um, we have uh, content from um, a project we're doing with Filecoin Foundation from the decentralized web. Um, so these decentralized web projects, we're doing education to teach artists and creators how to um, use and contextualize their work within the new generation of decentralized web tools, which gives certain affordances, um, uh, which have you know sort of been talked about a lot these days. Um, and the uh, Cryptech project is just a, another example of how do we put artists and creators forward first and not only, uh, you know, to sort of um, define the possibilities of these new tools, um, which we think both makes them stronger, more robust kind of worlds for everyone, um, but also sees them as not, it's not only um, what are the kind of, technical challenges with giving everyone access with these tools, but also how can the tools themselves be uh, speculative design um, sort of uh, canvases to uh, envision um, uh, new forms of access and increasing access for everyone um, even beyond what may be possible in, you know, chained to physical reality. Um, so I don't know if that answered your question, but. Yeah, it, gives, it, it definitely gives me the, it gives me like the, 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 the splash up of like sort of the projects you're on. It also gives me a sense of regret that like, for me, your rise has sort of been for me like ships passing in the night because like I I left the bay <laughs> just about the time y'all were probably like you know doing something south of market somewhere you know and like I'm sitting here going like oh yeah if I was still living in San Pablo I probably would have like be going over to the gray area stuff yeah. like, on the regular right like like no I really got that sense I was like oh yeah I think I would have been hanging out there for the past like decade if I was still like living in the bay um. I'm I'm curious as to, you know, we're, we're, particularly when you were talking about like the this, and this is for both of you. Uh, you were talking about the, the you did a whole project looking at you know experiential and and, and this, there's resurgence in experiential exhibition, and, and so much of that was a response to like the curiosity uh, uh, and some of the audiences and some of the success that people were having with things like the museum of ice cream, right? Like lots of people coming through this stuff. Do you, what's your sense for both of you on, on the, the pulse in the Bay area right now, when it comes to whether or not audiences are interested in experiential and immersive, or uh, are they, are they kind of, you know, burned out at this point because they've seen one too many Van Gogh, you know, immersive Van Gogh uh, pitches. Uh, they've they've been to too much of that stuff, and now they just want you know a nice simple. I don't know. I don't even know what they want. Like, uh, but I, I asked this question because I think there's this anxiety in the creative community about whether or not this was all a fad. Uh, or if there's some deeper desire or that's, or even a, a deeper possibilities that are, that are in this form uh, that people are responding to. 
Again, yeah. a simple question. Yeah, uh, may, sure. Maybe I'll say a couple of things about that first and yeah. pass it over to Vanessa. Um, I mean, I think there are a couple of things baked in. There are a couple of things that are San Francisco baked into that question, but I think um, the largest point is probably that immersive environments are really not, you know, your question is, was it, is it a fad? And I would say it's more of a return to form. Um, you know, if you look in the past, nice, it's something nice. like it's something like the caves at Lascaux, you know, go way back, right? And the way art was created was site-specific and it had an experiential quality to it by definition. You know, so you had the light in the cave, the cave walls, all this sort of stuff, you know, the geometry of it all contributed to the experience of viewing the artwork. And this is true with, you know, you can make lots of, um, cathedrals and all sorts of other things, uh, all sorts of practices all around the world that are really art was viewed experientially and, and place site specific based. Um, so it's really only when art uh, starts to be uh, particularly commodified um, and has sort of exchange value that um you start to see this uh, white room full of objects, you know? So mm -hmm. I, I think that this shift that we saw, you know, 2018 ish, 2017 um, for people being interested once again in environments as opposed to objects um, is more of a, of a return rather than like a fad or aberration. Right. And I think that that trend is both, both online and offline and virtually going to continue um, in the sense that I think we're also moving from what I would say is an experience economy towards a transformation economy where even more than just having an experience, people want to enter and leave um, having taken something away, been given further agency, learned something, being transformed, getting some grounding um, and orientation uh, that actually engages with things in the world through the lens of the experience that they've been through um, because we're in such a disorienting time. Um, you know, I think, I think there's always this tension between sort of escape and engagement um, at gray area, we always tip the dial towards engagement rather than, um, exclusively having like entertainment experiences or like, you know, branded, you know, like that, that sort of stuff. Um, you know, in San Francisco, particularly, I think, uh, there's almost too, it's too complex of a thing to really dig totally into because the audience has changed drastically over the years uh, and recent, like the pandemic has changed, you know, remote work, everything, the audience has shifted a lot. And right now we're particularly having this case where, um, you know, I would say there's one big um, potential good news for immersive entertainment. And that is that there's whatever 600,000 square feet of commercial real estate available in the city that can't, you know, particularly downtown and south of market. Um, and if there's anything that San Francisco understands, it's art and culture as a real estate development move. And so there's already been a lot of um, 
conversation in the city about, oh, now it's art's turn to save the city from its economic collapse. It's driven by a whole lot of things that aren't art and culture's fault. And so I think that, you know, that's both a large scale sort of city development uh, challenge because San Francisco is not a city that, uh, and, and the technology companies who, you know, in general, the philanthropy dollars here don't really find art and culture as their first choice, which I think is a real problem because yeah. it ends up eroding the cultural infrastructure, which I think is one of the reasons that's that, that ultimately created the, you know, was a, was a foundational component of the situation we find ourselves in now. Um, and I think without supporting and, um, uh, revitalizing, the cultural space here. And, and, you know, if there's one, if there's one, and this is also true of the arts organizations here in so far as if there's one conversation, San Francisco should be able to be a leader on, uh, on earth. It's the conversation around the relationship between, uh, culture and technology. Um, right. and, yeah. uh, through, through both the cultural space and the technology space, the either resources or interest in that conversation is, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes on, but it's still remarkable to me that gray area is really the only, and I would say, you know, Leonardo's in Oakland. They've been, you know, they've been doing this um, since um, the sixties too, with the journal and other things. And I can let Vanessa talk about that because it's one of the reasons this partnership makes sense. But um, in terms of a, of a brick and mortar sort of venue, like we have, uh, we're really the only, dedicated organization working on that topic in San Francisco, which is always remarkable to me. Yeah. There's, there's always been this thing in the Bay of like, there's, you feel like there are things that should exist and yet somehow don't exist. And yeah. Like, and, and, and there's always, a lot that, yeah, there's a lot that does exist that nobody knows, but like, like I've said, we, yeah. we work with like recombinant media labs, um, the artistic director of Recombinant Media Labs, uh, whose name is Not Human, and you should talk to at some point on this podcast for sure, has been doing um, audience immersive and experiential and surround works in San Francisco since 1970. Yeah, well, there's always, um, and there's always and been this like, tension between like the the San Francisco underground, particularly post 60s, and 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 the the wild experiential stuff that's been going on in there. And the the outside culture to the point where like, um, you know, there were things that were being built that were like secreted, and then like when they were because they were like trespass type experiences, and when they were finally under threat, people wanted to go public with them in order to preserve them, but at the same time they had you know not been part of the rest of the the fabric of of the city. So it's it's always mm-hmm. been it's always been funky, right? Like this, yeah, this it's tension. a little bit yeah, the city's always been a little balkanized culturally in some yeah. strange ways that that, that don't that I, I'm not even having experienced it over 20 years here. I'm not it doesn't exactly make sense to me still but well it's also like something to do with I mean you're talking about this tension, but there's also this cycle of tension and extraction assimilation right like i mean you look at the entire history of um like the whole world whole earth catalog and um and the emergence of wired and then you look at wired now and what the way in which what is um outside and kind of counterculture becomes absorbed into you know techno culture and 
um, that kind of really animating a lot of these um, these tensions and a lot of these shifts in the landscape of the Bay Area. You know, we talk about like, it's interesting, you're asking about the appetite for immersive in the Bay Area. And I mean, Barry touched on a lot of, um, a lot of really, I think, critical um, stuff there. But to me, there's this kind of desire um, embedded in a lot of, in a lot of immersive work and in the kind of staging of immersive work um, that comes from a real vein of techno-utopianism in the Bay Area too, right? Like the appetite's always going to be there because there's something that, um, on one hand, there's this sense of utopia that is possible. It's, I mean, maybe it's mirage, um, but um, this this moving towards it through through technical by technological means, and as the world starts to um, starts to get really difficult to be in, you know, I think about the the surging of immersive media and the in the period you're talking about, and it's it's at a time when we're all stuck inside because of the pandemic, or we can't, um, or we can, or because of forest fires and the air is no good. Mm -hmm. So you start to have it to transform the world around you, and that I think is is it, it it's kind of particular to this historical moment, but it's also kind of very um, in practice, something that's very of a piece with the history of this work in in the Bay Area. Yeah, I, I, I love that you brought up like the the fire conditions, right? Like you know that that was like the precursor. The first mask I ever bought was because of a bad fire season we were having down here. And then I remember in like the year before the pandemic, maybe it, maybe it was or maybe it was 2018, like when the skies turned red in the Bay. Um, no, that was 2020. That was, that was 2020. It was during the pandemic, oh September 2020. Oh wowzers! Like just just the 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 way that like we're getting fractured, and yet and and that and and somehow and to some degree like the internet also fractured us, right? Like you know, put us socially more connecting through digital means, and there's this there's this countervailing desire to connect in person. Or if you're online to have a, a deeper connection somehow to like right. open up the bandwidth of, of. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and we've, you know, spent 20 years staring at our phones too, which is like yeah. the, the smallest possible straw you can suck a like experience through. <laughs> right. So, so, so given, you know, g given just our like staring at these like objects, which, which, um, are kind of collapsing our peripheral sense, you know, mm -hmm. it, it's uh, as a media object though, that also I think translates into the desire to have these sort of like higher bandwidth, more encompassing environments mm -hmm. that, you know, have sort of more affordances because it's just not yeah. a good, good life experience to be uh, focused on um, that sort of like, low bandwidth kind of like um yeah well and, and there seems to be well i think too that that's why i mean in a way disabled people yeah. are such experts in doing this work you know i think this moment of the pandemic where we're all sitting in isolation and we can't um suddenly we're denied access to places um and we're having to look life through a screen and you know all experiences are going virtual i mean um this is 
for many people who may not be able to leave their homes, who have maybe various physical impairments. I mean, this, this is just the state of being, right? So they've been practicing for this for a long time. I mean, there's a Alice Wong, who is a Bay Area-based writer um, and activist, calls um, disabled oracles because, you know, they're kind of, they're experiencing the future that we're all headed towards now. Mm. And so the, this kind of moment right now, when we're talking about like the cryptech metaverse, I like, yeah, this, this, <laughs> this is an expertise that we're, we're calling on that um, the people have really been in a way training for, they haven't wanted to, but, <laughs> but they've had to because the world hasn't been built for them. And now we're all starting to live in that world. Yeah. Um, Vanessa, Barry mentioned, you know, Leonardo has been around since the, in Oakland, since the, the, the 60s, the 70s. Could you tell us a little about the organization? Yeah, for sure. So, well, Leonardo actually was founded as a journal in okay. 1967, um, and it's still being published. It's published by MAT Press. It was the very first journal dedicated to art, science, and technology practice, and it was founded by Frank Molina, who is a rocket scientist who also co-founded NASA JPL and a kinetic artist, um, you know, just didn't do much. And um, yeah, those rocket after... scientists always doing nothing extracurricular at all. <laughs> right. Um, and he founded the journal in the 60s, kind of at this moment when, um, you know, you see like EAT and um, LACMA's Art and Technology Program. So at that particular kind of moment in art and technology. And then in 1983, his son, um, Roger Molina, who's now a professor um, at UC Dallas and is still involved with the organization, founded the nonprofit um, in Oakland. So we've been, as an, as an organization, we're founded, we're founded in Oakland and, and grounded in Oakland, but we have a real global reach. And um, we have a partnership with Arizona State University as well. Um, we've got, you know, in terms of our publications and uh, gatherings and salons, uh, people meet under the Leonardo banner in almost 70, uh, 70 countries globally. And they were read in over 100 countries. So, um, yeah, that's the, we, we're kind of characterizing ourselves as a, kind of think tank doing work kind of programmatically and in our publications um, with our partners we work in various residencies so we really work along the entire um, axes of creative development in art science and technology yeah if, if only our rocket scientists today would uh create <laughs> know, art right? science technology journals instead of uh, <laughs> you know whatever else they might well, those aren't real rocket scientists who are doing right. that. Uh, the real rocket scientists are working for those people uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and yeah, wishing sure. they could work for somewhere sure. else. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> uh, we just got to nationalize a couple of things. It's no big deal. Um, so uh, just, you know, here we go. Yes. Now we'll we're talking. We'll get it done. We'll get it yeah, done. Is, 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 the, is the no proscenium audience aware that profit is the unpaid wages of the working class? Or I mean, a lot of them are. Uh, okay, some, cool. some, of them, some of them may be laboring, uh, uh, put quotes on laboring under the, uh, under the impression it's not, but uh, at the end of the yeah. day. Uh, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, yeah. <laughs> I'm actually glad, you know, I'm glad uh, Vanessa mentioned the Whole Earth uh, catalog and publications too, because we, this wasn't, 
something I had planned to talk about today, but I have been I've been um, undertaking a project for the last couple of years to uh, digitize and make publicly avail- available the sort of entire um, corpus of Full Earth publications, which includes oh, cool. not, only, not, not not only the catalogs, but also um, things that aren't aren't normally seen like or like maybe not known about like the Coevolution Quarterly and the Whole Earth Review and Whole Earth Magazine. And there were a bunch of sort of one-off special publications like Space Colonies and Soft Tech and things like that. And those should be released on October 13th no online um, together with partners like the Internet Archive and uh, Long Now Foundation and, um, you know, Stuart Brands and, and a lot of the other editors are involved with that. Keep on a lookout lookout for that. Yeah, this episode should be dropping on the 13th. So uh, if it does drop, that could be perfect. Yeah, Yeah. so that that website will be at wholeearth.index. Okay. um, And it will not be up until the 13th. And so... Dot index. I'm just making a note of that uh, for for all all folks. If it's if it's live when this goes up, it'll be in the show notes. So uh, don't cool. Don't That's great. About that. uh, he says, but I luckily I wrote it down in the place where I'm going to harvest something else. So like that information will will get consistent. Uh, are 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 you? Does that also mean uh, that there's that some of the well is going to be in that collection? Uh, no, the, the yeah, the well is not a part of that. Okay, um, all right. Uh, Other people have I mean, the, 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 the wells. The well, the well's still online. Oh. I mean, you can still you can still join up. You can still get an email address at well.com if you want. It's uh, it's the well exists. So for those who don't know, uh, the well is the whole Earth electronic link. That's W E L L electronic meaning being short for electronic. And it was one of the it was like the precursor to even like CompuServe. So it was a very early internet. Uh, very yeah. early in a practically a rapinet uh, uh, service uh, and kind of watering hole and was uh, for for a college kid in the 90s it was sort of a, a legendary <laughs> spot that you couldn't quite figure out how to how to get to so again I, you're telling me it's around I'm like oh I didn't know and that's the thing about that's the thing about the internet sometimes like oh that place that was like a legendary speakeasy yeah this is around this alley over here if you only would like leave the the big mall they put up 10 years ago you'd find it um so yeah um well this has been this has been fantastic uh is there as we come in on the close of our time uh anything else that folks should know about the programming particularly of the festival uh or 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 a case to be made to to kind of come out and, and check out some of the work or, or sort of i guess what's the what's the vibe like how are they going to find like-minded uh you know techno art weirdos uh yeah for sure i think there's a you know one thing about gray area festival is i think we keep it pretty uh casual in some ways and so you meet a lot of people we have performances at night um you know the conferences are in the day we have workshops uh with the sea change labs this year we have an exhibition and so all of those components go into kind of telling the whole story around you know and presenting the work and sort of elevating the stuff that we want to talk about um it's always a great time there's always ample time for conversations and socializing and it's a great group of people um a lot of people come in from outside of san francisco but it's also a great place to um 
connect with community here that are interested in these sorts of things. Uh, you can also watch all of the festival online. There's a virtual pass that I think is $50. Um, and you can live stream everything. So if you don't happen to be able to come in, that's a great way to, uh, or just want to like reduce your carbon footprint. That's a great way to uh, engage. Um, uh, ultimately, um, the prototypes from the Cryptech Metaverse Lab, we hope to be developing into full experiences that will be publicly available. It's a little bit TBD, but, you know, we're mm-hmm. working with partners on that. Um, I don't know. Anything I missed, Vanessa? No, I think that that about covers it. Tech art weirdos is... Um, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we, yeah, we have... We have in fact, that's all. That's all you'll find if you're expecting anything else <laughs> other other than that. Then, like, you'll be <laughs> gravely disappointed. But it turns out. Um, so, so the you know website grayareafestival.io is the website. I think there will be early bird passes for a little bit longer, and then they'll go up a little bit in price. But the, we always the the full the full festival access pass is two hundred and fifty dollars, and we try and keep it you know as accessible as possible. We're not making a lot of money on this thing we're just trying to get um you know break even on it and get people in and show some cool work and uh, would love to see um we also if there's anybody out there listening to this uh we um provide sort of scholarships and subsidies if you have any sort of uh need-based reason why that uh, presents a barrier to you to come then uh, please get in touch with us and we'll see what we can do all right well, I encourage everyone who's in the Bay, who's hearing to check it out. And if you are, if this is your lane and you are within reach of it also, I would say yeah. uh, tap, tap in and keep an eye out for that whole Earth and, catalog action. And if you can pay more, yeah, you're welcome to do that also. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's, there's a couple of people listening who probably can, yeah. uh, that's, there's, there's, there's two, not a lot, but also I, I want to, <laughs> so you can just pay me more. No. Uh, so no. exactly, exactly. <laughs> Support no presenting. Let's just, let's just, let's just spread the money on or let's just, yeah. uh, hack into someone's account. So we're, we're talking um, about re- de- redistributing wealth immersively. Here. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. We've got the biggest immersive project ever. It's called that anyway. Uh, yeah. yeah. They'll hunt us down if we talked openly. Y'all, we talked about this in the meeting. We weren't supposed to talk about it publicly. Uh, yeah, it's um, like I'm on a, yeah. I'm on a, yeah. I'm on a list. So yeah, <laughs> they got. I think they dropped no, me no, off the no list. They got, they got. They got. They got bored of me, so they dropped me off the list. Um, so I wasn't doing anything interesting anymore. Um, right on that note. Oh boy, uh, Barry, Vanessa, thank you both so much for coming by today, and uh, and uh, let's keep this channel open. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Once again, thanks to Barry and Vanessa for being our guests on the show. Check the show notes for links to, well, all that I could find. Obviously, Gray Area and the Gray Area Festival and Leonardo and Cryptech. All of that will be there. And hopefully, hopefully, I haven't looked yet. Hopefully that that, uh, whole Earth uh, catalog uh, project will be in the show notes as well. There is a lot, a lot going on. It is, of course, spooky season. There are, oh man, 
the Willows uh, will be releasing a whole new slate of tickets here in Southern California. Uh, you can check the site soon for information about that. Those go up on the 15th. On the 16th, we've got our meetup here in SoCal. Uh, the Immersive Immersive is coming up in Denver in November. Uh, there's just this and that and the other thing. I'm going to be doing... I'm going to be doing like a lot of travel over the next few weeks. Most of it, people summoning me to be actually everything being people summoning me to be places. Uh, I, I never control my own travel, but I'm doing way more in the next couple of months. And uh, my Cal arts class is still going and the students are making really interesting stuff and, you know, challenging the way we think about immersive and talk about immersive and some of the framing. And so that's good. That's sharpening me up. Uh, so look for, look for some changes as we go on. Um, speaking of some things that got sharpened up, uh, the how to get covered by no pro section, because we've added this new coming soon feature, which is instantly going to have a cousin called now playing, uh, because, because of the willows actually, because we have that. Um, I needed to mix up how that was and sort of make some stuff clear because there's some, some folks have some ambiguity because, uh, about, well, what does it mean to be listed at EI? Someone reached out this week and was like, oh, Hey, like they don't, you know, my friends had a thing and they don't see it like on EI. And I'm like, what do you mean? Don't see it. Like here it is in the listings. And they, they were thinking it was going to get curated. Well, that's a, that's a different process that that's a whole thing. So if you want to know, how to get your shows covered, how to get into the newsletter, how to get on the site, what qualifies something for review or a feature or this or that, the other thing, then go check out, and I'll put it in the show notes, go check out the revised How to Get Covered by No Pro, uh, because that's the way to do it. That is how to approach us. A lot of people approach us. We get a lot of pitches, a lot of press releases. And so most of the time, the answer just has to be no. One of the reasons why we have the new coming soon feature where we have the I five and a few of these other things, uh, or to make it easier for us to say yes, just because if we just process press releases, there'd be no time to do anything else. So there you go. That's what's up with that. Um, that's enough for me for now. I got I got some logistical things that need doing. I'm looking at the, the oh my god. Okay, I got a lot of logistical things I need to do. Uh, here on Thursday night. So I'm going to go do those. I hope you have a most excellent weekend ahead if you're listening to this on Friday or that you're having a good weekend if you're listening to this on Saturday. Don't forget to check the newsletter. Uh, there'll be plenty in it. I know I got to make it tomorrow because <laughs> it doesn't stop. All right, let's do the credits, shall we? The associate producer of this podcast is Parker Sella. Music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society and Solar the Podcast. Special thanks to Siobhan O'Loughlin for voicing our intro. All of this that you perceive is my fault. I'm Noah Nelson, and until next time, I'll see you at the show. 